Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Miki Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture. Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name's Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got Rohan. Hey Rohan, how's it going? Hey, hey, good. How are you? Good. And today we've got Ian with us. Hey Ian. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This episode of the Home Assistant Podcast is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and the ESP Home projects. Configuration is done via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, Whereabouts are you from and give us a little bit of an intro to who you are. Yeah, so I'm on the East Coast in the U.S., uh, in Connecticut. So uh, if the, the New England fall leaves are just about over at this point. Uh, nice. I get nice and cold over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and, uh, you know, in, in my day job, I uh, do cybersecurity right now. Um, have a started getting into that, especially after the pandemic. Uh, found myself mm-hmm. going from normal IT into cybersecurity. And uh, before that was manufacturing engineering and uh, control systems management. Our home assistant is uh, a a nice little hobby that meshes with work. Nice. Yeah, isn't it? It works out nicely, right? Like when you can sort of, yeah, just look at home and go, oh, yeah, I can see how that applies to work. Or, oh, I've just done something at work. That would be really cool to do at home in home assistant, right? Like, I like it. So, what got you into, or where did you start with home automation? Yeah, so really, for me, it started uh, about five years ago, uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, we just moved uh, to a new new city and uh, had a, a newborn at the time. Uh, so my mm-hmm. and I found out that with my new job, I was going to be actually traveling a considerable amount. Um, they wanted me to live out of a hotel for at least four months, and um, so my wife was pretty concerned about safety. She was going to be home with the new new child all the time, and so. It was how do we get, she wanted a, a, a normal like alarm system or just a security system. And I had concerns about, like, I don't want some other vendor, uh, some third party knowing, am I home or not? Right. Like it just have, it doesn't, yeah. it never sat well with me. Um, and so, especially when you have like ADT, one of the big companies here, they have call centers in India and it's like, I don't know what's happening with that data. I don't know if they're selling it to some other party that's going to go rob my house when I'm gone. Like I just, you know, it, it never sure. sat well with me. So I, I did tons of research just trying to figure out had anybody else out there ever designed their own home security system. And that's kind of how I landed in the home assistant world was, Oh, people have not only done that, but they've taken it to the the next level. Um, and you know, five years ago it was, not as user-friendly as it was today with home assistant. Right. So Mm -hmm. I had to, I had a, 
basic IT background, but not not a developer mm-hmm. by any means. Um, and so I ended up having to learn a lot, like just learning YAML, and that was yeah. still very prevalent back then, right? Um, and and got into it that way. Um, but it ended up being like the best thing for me because it forced me to learn all these skills that uh, ultimately was a launch pad for me into a whole new career. And, and it was like my whole career path that I'm on now is ultimately because of Home Assistant, um, learning how to, how to use YAML, JSON, things like that. But then also uh, showing the power of hosting something locally, but also tying it to the cloud. Like you get the best of both worlds. Sure. That's a really cool. Yeah. So as you started going through that, what were kind of some of the, so, cause you said you didn't, you, I mean, you came from technology, but you didn't have a programming background and stuff like that. What were like a couple of the big things that you've, you know, find kind of difficult to get started with because of that? Was it like, cause YAML, YAML, I don't know. I, I found YAML fairly okay to learn. Like it wasn't like, like strenuous to learn it or anything like that. I don't know if that was your experience as well. And then, and then how did it, uh, how did you evolve from there? Yeah. So the biggest thing with YAML was, um, it didn't seem like there were any beaginner's guides. Like I, I you know, I'm, mm. I'm like looking through the the owner's manual kind of a thing. And, and I learned yeah. by reading the manual. So for most programming languages, I can figure them out through that. Um, but YAML just, it was a lot of blog hunting and it was a lot of, you know, Hey, people seeing how other people did yeah. it and almost reverse engineering it. Um, now sure. in the last year, thanks to the large language models, that's completely changed. Right. So, oh, what is, what does this do with YAML? How do I build it in YAML? Um, that it, it's so, so much easier now because I have a, a chat, you know, being chat, like will explain yeah. every, all the YAML to me. And so had I done that, um, had that large language model been available in 2018, when I first started, I think it would have been an even easier experience for me. Sure. But, had to do it the hard way of reverse engineering logs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've just started using like GitHub Copilot um, and it's amazing, right? Like I can't believe yep. um, just some mm-hmm. of the stuff, like even just like obscure APIs and you can just, you know, talk to it and say, all right, I'm trying to do this in this API. What is the right, like, what am I doing? Like, oh yeah, you should be using this one, right? Um, so, no, it's, it's even been great for the uh, uh, like schematics. So I found like you can take a picture of a schematic. So if somebody's like, Hey, I've, I did this really cool thing with a ESP32 and you take the schematic and you don't know what exactly it does or why it works. Um, rather than now having to go back and look through what does every chip do, read the manuals, all that, you can actually upload the picture and it will wow. tell you what it does. And then I found that what's really cool too is if you take it from, okay, this was a print for an ESP32, but you want to ship that over to a Raspberry Pi, uh, like the new what Pi, Pi Zeros or Pi Ws. Um, yeah, if you can actually have the AI convert it over to you and it will give you a new pinout diagram based on what was done with the SP32. And so things like that that's just really cool. accelerate this whole process of, of learning. I mean, that's ultimately what it is yeah. for me is I get to learn all of these new things and having that, uh, that co-pilot there just accelerates it, makes yeah. it even more enjoyable. I do, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I do wonder if there's ever going to be, uh, uh, you know, put a pin in the wrong place and, you know, all of a sudden you get a, a fried ASP board or something. Because I've certainly had, you know, the, the API say to me, oh, yeah, you can do this in the code and then you run the code. And it doesn't do that. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that doesn't exist. Yeah. That option yeah. on that function doesn't exist, mate. What are you giving me? All right. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, GPT, uh, I, f- I find GPT is hit or miss, right? Sometimes, well, with 3.5, especially, uh, it's like chat GPT 3.5. It's pretty, I don't know, I find it's like, it's accurate, but when it's like programming stuff, it's kind of more missed than it is a hit. Um, four has gotten a lot better with that, though, but because you can, like, you can even be like, hey, like, like for example, like, Ian, along the lines of what you were saying, like, I was trying to figure out schematics, I'd be like, Hey, here's the data sheet for something and tell me how this works. Right. And it'll be like, okay, boom, 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 boom. Right. And it's like, what are some considerations I need to take when I'm building this? And like, it'll be like, okay, don't forget this and this and this. Right. Like, so it's kind of cool, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So for me, when, uh, so when I was learning all this the hard way back in 2018, before yeah. a modern large language model that even though it's not perfect, right. It's still a huge help for us. Like I love the Honestly, I love the co-pilot type branding because it's like, okay, I'm still in control, mm-hmm. but I've got somebody helping me. Or the way I think yeah. about it is, is it's, it's like a thousand high school interns at your disposal. Um, <laughs> they're, they might not be perfect, but a high schooler is still pretty smart and they can go do something to help you out. And if you have a thousand yeah. of them just going to help you out, like if, as long as you go into it with that understanding that you don't expect it to be perfect, it's very powerful. But yeah, in 2018, just trying to figure this stuff out from scratch, I was taking a lot of my manufacturing mentality to it. So it was a lot of like, go deploy these sensors, go figure out what I have in my home and observe behavior. So just deploying the sensors first was the huge thing. And then because yeah. I was coming from manufacturing, uh, control bands was how I thought. And so it was what's normal in the house, what is normal behavior and and does it yeah. stay inside that control band? And that's what I started with most of my automations on was just saying, is everything expected and normal? And then I also, because of manufacturing discipline, uh, assumed failure. So I assume that everything yeah. is going to fail at some point. So I built in a lot of redundancy. And so I brought a lot of these yeah. things naturally to, to what I started playing with Home Assistant to do. Um, and then in 2019, I attended a conference and found out that there were like industry names for these mindsets of zero yeah. trust and chaos engineering. And so ever since then, I've yeah. just been able to, to run with that. Use the buzzword. Use the buzzword. That's right. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. So what were some of the first things that you kind of, uh, automated, like in terms of like, I know you said security was your first primary use case, right? So, um, what did that include? Yeah. So at, at first it was, it was door sensors, locks, um, motion sensors, and then eventually got to cameras and things like that. Uh, but I started, so just, just being able to see when, do, when does the door open and shut? How does that relate to a motion sensor? Seeing mm-hmm. all of those sensors uh, was ultimately able to start getting ahead of what would, nor- what would normally be human behavior. So I could say, hey, my phone just came in to the, air, to the house. Rather than saying automatically unlock the door, I assume that it's not me holding my phone. So, but I, I start using that as a trigger and say, my phone just came to the house and it knows it's my phone. So now I can say the doorbell camera should be looking for my face, not any face, but start looking just for my face. And if it sees my face and, you know, say like a 90% probability of it's me, then it unlocks the door automatically. And so you get to this, like the zero trust principles of no standing privilege. So like, I don't have a standing privilege to my own home. The, the, the key does not work. Right. If you use a key to my front door, it actually alarms. It's treated like a break glass account, like you would do in enterprise IT. Um, yeah. But I end up with a better use case or a better user experience, 
even though I have no standing privilege because my door automatically opens for me. So I could have hands full of groceries, kids, whatever. And I just walk up to my door and it's unlocked. And then as soon as I close it, it locks behind me. But that was only possible because I was able to see what are those normal behaviors that, that what does right look like? And then look for that. And anything other than that is assumed to be a compromise because I, you you turn it into a statistical model and you say, here's what, here's what my tails look like. Those will never happen. Here's what right looks like in the middle. And and you, you automate for that. And it's just gone from there. That's cool. So when you're thinking about uh, designing or, you know, when you wanted to get those door sensors, did you have, all right, I'm going out at this. I don't, I don't trust anyone or don't trust any third party. So are you looking for only local devices? I'm guessing, you know, no Wi-Fi sensors for those door sensors, you know, did you choose Zigbee? Is that wave? Was that on your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I actually avoided Wi-Fi for the longest time. Um, I went with mm-hmm. both Z-Wave and, uh, and the Zigbee. And because I assume failure of systems, I actually yep. use a lot of everything, uh, all, all the protocols is what I try to do too. So I try to, mm-hmm. as much as I, I really like the Z-Wave stuff a lot, and especially um, with the changes that have happened over the last year or two, it's gotten so much better. Um, but I still try to make sure I'm not overly dependent on one of those protocols. So in the event that my Z-Wave radio fails, I want uh, to make sure that my whole home didn't fail, right? So only parts right. of it can fail at a time as long as I'm using multiple protocols. And I've really liked uh, the Matter stuff lately um, and Thread actually. So I have HomeKit devices, even though I'm not an Apple person by any means, I have HomeKit devices yeah. now because it just plugs in and it's it's yeah. truly a vendor agnostic platform that gives you that resiliency um, but it also means because of going with that local security mindset, like and just trying to keep it off of Wi-Fi means the yeah. somebody has to physically be there to penetrate me versus the remote access. And and it takes a load off of my my firewalls and traffic routing and things like that. Yeah, um, sure. But it's it's uh it's been pretty reason- you know, I really haven't had an, any failures. That's another nice thing. Even though I've planned for all of this everything's been really resilient and stick. I'm sticking with the raspberry Pi four still because it's, it, it works. Interesting. Yeah. And so t- for someone to walk up to your door, like you had that example before of, you know, I walk up to my door, I've got groceries in my hand, the camera recognizes my face. Are you using, um, like, a, a frigate or a coral, you know, processor to re- do the facial recognition or are you allowing, you know, like an Amazon hosted instance somewhere to do that? Um, recognition for you and then bring it back in locally. Yeah. So I actually, so I've, I've integrated this with my Azure tenant. So I use the Azure face API uh, for yep. the, for the face part. Um, because actually what, where I be in the cybersecurity side of it, I have all the, the M365 Sentinel, all of those mm-hmm. security things there for my, my hardware. And so I've actually been able to take that telemetry and tie it to home assistant as well. So if, if my entire family's, M365 telemetry is outside of the area. Even if my phone says I'm in the area, I there's a mismatch, right? And so I don't I don't have automations on that other than an alert that says what my cloud telemetry is telling me through Microsoft licensing is actually divergent from what my home is seeing. And that in itself is an anomaly. And so I can start to right. feed that actually up to my Sentinel instance. And Sentinel will start looking at it as I have a 
I have an anomaly. Is this related to an actual attack or is it, um, like why, why, right? And we start getting to that. Why do I have this thing? Um, but it's that zero trust principle of I'm assuming everything's failing. I'm assuming everything's a breach. And every yeah. time that there's a mismatch, uh, I, I alert that and I go investigate and, and very rarely is it a system failure or if it is a system failure, I can go redesign it, build it better, add new sensors, right. et cetera. So when you get those alerts to say, all right, there's an anomaly here, do you, what happens if like you're walking up to the door, right? And family's out and there's an anomaly, does the door just not open? And then you've got to manually punch in a code or mm-hmm. how does exactly. that work? Yeah. yeah. So, so if, if I don't meet the threshold for essentially, it's like I'm create, essentially creating my own risk score, right? So like the same mm. thing that you would have on your right. computer of, yep. you know, are you allowed this permission with your enterprise IT stuff? Um, I'm essentially creating a risk score. So if it can't get that score based on telemetry or if there's an, enough anomalies there, then yeah, the next thing is my pin has to go. But my pin, my pin doesn't always stay on the door. It only stays on the door if certain conditions are met as well, right? So if I'm clearly out of the, out of town, mm. I don't. I could give you my pin, right? Like, and it wouldn't work because it, there's no need for my pin to be entered, right? So there's those kinds right. of things that happen as well. Um, and I I go through multiple failure points of okay, the the cloud is down. Yep, what happens? It fails over to a pin. What if the pin is not working for whatever reason? I've got other break glass kind of things. In the event that I use it, you know, it's open the mailbox three times, turn around and do a dance, various kinds of, <laughs> you know, secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. secret um, processes to do, to do a break glass turn on, essentially. Yeah. Um, like I even have a failover for another Raspberry Pi that if the Pi fails, it'll fail over. So I don't have my Zigbee and Z-Wave because I don't have the radios, but I have yeah. my break glass account still there. Um, but then it does send... I got, I've got multiple things too. It'll send a, the alert through home assistant to my phone that says a break glass account was just done, sends it to my wife's phone. Um, we also have a, a family teams, uh, meeting like account set up. Yep. So it'll send a team's message as well. And, um, a couple other things that I have in there where again, it like it goes through multiple vectors. Some of them are cloud-based, some of them are local. Some of them are rely on home assistant. Some of them do not, but I want to make sure that the message gets out, especially if a break glass account was used, which should never, ever be used, I want to make sure that that message gets out. Right. Now, so this is like fascinating for me. So how often do you think, or how often does it actually happen? Like where you walk up to the door, like I'm going to keep running with that door open uh, scenario. Out of, you know, nine times out of 10, would you say that the door unlocks for you and it doesn't detect an anomaly? Like how solid is it now for you that it's, you know, not an annoyance it's, to have to use a different thing every time. Yeah. So I, I have not used my pin in years at this point. Like that's, that's wow, kind of wow. the, the beauty of it. Um, because the, the telemetry that you get through the home assistant app for your phone is, is pretty solid. Um, yep. and, and so, you know, it's, it's not like the, it's not like your GPS just randomly fluctuates around the world. Like, right. You're getting an accurate yep. GPS signal. And then you combine that with, okay, is my phone on the Wi-Fi? And you combine that with Bluetooth presence detection. And in order for it to actually fail, you would have had to have, you know, your phone itself would have had to fail or those, like, I've done that. Those, uh, those sensors really have not failed on me. And that's, that's been the yeah. nice part. 
And as long as Home Assistant is collecting that data and processing it properly, which again has been rock solid in the last few years, you know, five years ago, I don't know if I could have gotten quite to this accuracy, sure. but the Home Assistant's been solid that, yeah, I, I can truly depend on it. Now, I still assume failure, right? Like I still have that in the back of my mind, like something will fail. But, and I, and I exercise that every once in a while, like turn Bluetooth off on my phone, see if it still yeah. works. Yeah. But, uh, but it's more importantly, like all of this stuff has made it to where my wife is a believer. Like that's probably the most important thing on here. And I've heard other guests yeah. say that too. It's she's a believer in the home assistant thing now. Like just even when I took it down for a week, she's like, where did everything go? I need it. I need all my home assistant stuff. And yeah, so yeah. it's, it's wife approved, which means it's, it's actually resilient. It's not just a, a toy anymore for me. Right. Yeah, that was okay. It's gonna be my next question. Like, how, like, often does it fail for your wife compared to you? Like, is it always like, is it solid enough that you don't have to act as IT support all the time? Or yeah, every so the only thing that's failed every once in a while is um, my Zigbee radio. Um, every mm. once in a while, it just will turn off, and so um, it'll be like, okay, can't change the thermostat in the middle of the night, or got a an automation for one of our kids now where um, if you turn the TV on, one of the lights turns on as well. So you can see at night, like when you're, it's almost like a, a nightlight. Cause he used to use the TV as a, um, use the TV as the nightlight, which actually just triggers another light to turn on. Um, and then when that fails, it's, it's frustrating and she actually has to go manually turn off the light. And so I, but again, that's a, that's a pattern I can detect. So every time that I get called as it support, I dig into it. And so what I've ended up doing is I don't know the root cause of some of these failures, especially with the Zippy radio. Um, but I end up just doing a, a weekly reboot. So I automatically do a full reboot of home assistant 2 AM on Sundays or whatever time. And, and now I don't have any issues. So I have never figured that one out, but it's hmm. at this point, uh, doing that full reboot automated full reboot seems to have solved everything. It comes up in the morning. That's my Did, only didn't you have something yep. like that, Phil? Where you had I to did. reboot everything? Because yeah, that's long. Yeah, I would have that ages ago. I've yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, yeah, I probably should just to clear out the cobwebs. Like my home assistant log file is massive every time I upgrade every month. But yeah, I probably should. Yeah, interesting. So one of the one of the nice things so that and why. It, you know, I, I truly say I, I owe my current career to Home Assistant. Everything that I learned with this stuff in 2018, 2019, um, just that that little thing of showing I have a more secure home, but also a better user experience. Um, that was blasphemy in the cybersecurity world pre-COVID. Um, right. Because the assumption was every time you add security, you you hurt the user experience, right? It's just, it's another layer. It's another uh, uh, another pain point for the user. And so just this simple model I was able to show with my home of, I have tremendous security that I have full control and I have anomaly detection, but because I have that telemetry, I'm able to use it for a better user experience. Um, I was able to show that to my boss at the time you know, when, when COVID hit and I was like, this zero trust thing is actually a good thing. Like it's, it's real. It's not, yeah. it's, it is a buzzword, but it's mm. actually real. Like if you, if you do it right, yeah. 
and security and usability are no longer inverse. You can use zero trust methodologies to actually give a better user experience by, by taking that zero trust telemetry and automating things to make the user experience better. And uh, so when, so by home assistant lab became like the model for the COVID restructuring of enterprise IT uh, in 2020. And, and yeah. so all of these policy automations that I would build with home assistant, it became a question of, okay, now how do I do this at the enterprise scale? And so it, it, what's, what's surprising is there's a direct, easily direct correlation between how you write a, an automation in Home Assistant and how you write like a conditional access policy with M365 or how you write a playbook in Sentinel, um, which is just where, where I end up putting a lot of my, my time with uh, enterprise stuff. And so it was like, okay, how do I take an endpoint, endpoint telemetry with the user identity telemetry and all these things and combine them together? Well, that's what I was doing at home to unlock my front door for as one example, right? And now it's, mm-hmm. we'll take that same idea. I'm using different tools at scale. I can't use a home assistant on a Raspberry Pi for 500,000 users, but I can use you know, other enterprise tools, but the automation is fundamentally the same and the mindset's the same. And so we were able to take this and create brand new environment uh, post COVID for 500,000 users that was far better than everything they had before. And the user experience is better. The security is incredibly better. The telemetry to find bad guys was so much more in depth. And, and it was yeah. truly taking that zero trust mindset. But it all happened because of Home Assistant. Like and being yeah. able to have Home Assistant as my lab. Like Home Assistant is truly my enterprise lab. And that's what's crazy is things that I do for global customers now. Um, it's If I haven't proved it on Home Assistant first as a mentality, as a mindset, I don't take it to a customer. And, and it's, it's been just extremely successful. That's cool. Um, so from a, from an automation perspective and stuff like that, so outside of the security use case that, that you talked about, uh, what kind of stuff do you, do you do? Like, I mean, in terms, do you do any light stuff or like uh, TVs or like, like what's, yeah, what's involved there? Yeah. So kind of everything that I can get, telemetry on is what I suck up first and foremost, right? You know, can like sensor up before I even start the automations. So yeah, I've got my mm-hmm. TVs connected in there. Um, I love actually one of the best things that they did was, you know, you can tell what's, what's cloud dependent, what's not now, like yeah. just at a visual that has been one of the best things because, um, I plug everything in there, pull in forecast, pull in solar telemetry, pull in everything that I can, but being able to see what's, native from my house and what am I pulling from somewhere else? Um, but even, even simple stuff like our toothbrushes, right? The oral B integration and say, okay, I, I know when my teeth are being brushed. I haven't done much with that automation or with that telemetry yet, but as my kids get older, I guarantee you, I will have something in there that says, no, you did not brush your teeth twice today because you didn't do a home assistant. <laughs> therefore you don't get TV. But so, you know, there's some things of having that telemetry is, is valuable, but yeah. Um, yeah, I've done like the light switches, um, played with a lot of the things that I love is just playing with a d- bunch of different brands and seeing what I like. So I've have various Ikea stuff. I don't use the Ikea bridge. I just plug it straight into the Zigbee bridge. Right. Um, yeah. To see, okay, how's the Ikea devices versus all these other crazy brands out there. I've done some Shelly's I've done, um, just trying to look at my dashboard now. 
uh, <laughs> I have like a little bit of everything, right? And just partially to learn, but partially just to see what what works, what doesn't. And this sure what makes it really hard is it all works. So I haven't been able to pick yeah, like yeah, a yeah, favorite yeah. because it just it actually all works. So I end up learning a lot out of it. Um, the one thing though that kind of going to the original thing for me with the home security, um, when I started doing the light switches, I realized early on too that if the light switch itself can actually become a sensor. So if we're gone and the house is armed, if somebody turns yeah. a light on, that's an indication of breach, right? Like it's, they might've bypassed my door sensors, my window sensors, all that stuff. But if they, yeah. as soon as they turn on a light, that's an anomaly. And so yeah. Yeah. those were the other things that I was able to do is what is taking that from what's normal behavior and try to make it easier for the human, have the lights turn on automatically when you wake up, things like that. But there's the counterpart. There's always that security side of it is what telemetry can yeah. I use to say something just isn't right, whether that's a bad guy or, you know, a pump failure. Like my, my have my sump pump uh, monitored with the power usage and uh, oh, the new that's actually one been one of my favorites uh, is use the power usage with the sump pump and the fact that you can do the differential equation with it now and that of the statistics because mm -hmm. the, the pump goes at various times based on how much it's rained outside and, and all these weather factors, right? Sure. So I don't know how often the pump should run, but I do know that it should have a certain uh, certain slope at a certain time of, of power consumption. And if it ever drops to zero right. over a 12-hour period, it never kicked on and I know I have a pump failure. And so um, it's never happened yet, but I, it, I sleep better at night knowing that I have this automation there that if my sump pump fails for whatever reason and isn't turning on ever i actually get an alert on that before i've, I've flooded basement so nice you know it's, it's a lot of proactive things like that too that's cool yeah like that that's actually really neat where you start actually making sure things are actually working and stuff like that right you have those checks kind of built into home assistant uh, for itself so that is really, cool. really how about cool. any any voice things I haven't done any voice things yet. I haven't had time to quite play with that. I do have like the, the Wyoming stuff um, installed on yep. here and some of the local text to speech. Um, but I haven't done my, that's like on my wish list is to do the actual custom wake word and yeah. all that stuff. Just haven't quite had time to play with it yet. Um, but actually to that point, it's, it's created some seeing it work here again on a Raspberry Pi four. Like I intentionally, at yep. one point I had a much bigger PC that I was using for home assistant. And I intentionally went back to the four um, more for my day job because I was able to say, Hey, if I have this running on a raspberry Pi four, why the heck can't we get stuff running with our enterprise grade technology on the edge? Sure. You know, we've sure. got the cloud, let's push it to the edge. And so seeing, seeing like the Wyoming protocol out there um, on a working beautifully on a four, uh, it's given us some inspiration for how do we take other AI based things and push them to the edge for other customers. Right. Um, I spent time playing on submarines back in the day and, you know, you don't have that connectivity to the cloud. The cloud just doesn't work with submarines. And so I've always had yeah. this inherent desire to make things work at the edge because that's how life was like on a submarine. Um, sure. but now it's, it's just, I use it as a, is a forcing function, right? Like if, if, if a 
an open source group like Home Assistant can make AI work at the edge on a Raspberry Pi 4, there is no no reason why industry keeps failing. So it's no. it's kind of good soapbox to stand on. No, I, I, I'm right there with you, man. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it, it's also kind of cool, right? Where, you know, you see things like, to your point, things like an open source project like Home Assistant being like, hey, you know what? We're actually going to start pushing industry to start doing cooler things, right? Because you, you have a lot of the people that are like, no, no, it can't be done. Well, it's like, well, it kind of can, right? Like it's, uh, so it's just pushing the envelope a little bit, right? Obviously there might be different things when it comes to, you know, your home versus an enterprise grade, something or the other, but conceptually it's possible, right? So. Yeah, that's actually one of the, great. one of the things that's been fun too, is there's actually like a employee club uh, for home assistant at my, at my work now. So um, nice. Nice. it's, it's the, what is everybody doing for home assistant? And then it easily translates yeah. to why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this as a company? What, how could we integrate this? And um, so it's, it's the culture. That is one thing that I will say that the culture of the home assistant community has been great. Like even yeah. just the documentation and like, I, I use the documentation in my last job to say, here's the standard, right? I'm using an open source community driven effort as a standard for documentation because our documentation yeah. standard wasn't that good. And so it's, it, I've, I've used Home Assistant so much for public shaming to the corporate world. <laughs> um, it's, it's just great. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like I, I wish I could give back more and I keep seeing everybody say, oh yeah, just subscribe to the, to the Nabucasa. And okay, well, I have two subscriptions to that. I need to do more though. I need to give back more. I, I feel like there's something more that, you know, we need to buy a thousand coffees for sure. the, the core team or something. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's funny. I, I see it on Facebook all the time, right? Where people are like, hey, you know, like I'm trying to I'm trying to, you know, get away from subscriptions and blah, blah, blah. And it's like and then you'll see like some other people that are like, hey, you know, the only one I give to is <laughs> Nabucasa because, you know, there's like I find value in what they do and like that kind of thing. Right. And uh, it, it's 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 I don't know. It's a, I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. I do it. I I, I have a sub. Yeah. Like Phil does, too. And but. Oh man, cool. Um, so when you say you've got like all this telemetry going from your house or you've got the telemetry in your house, are you doing like, is everything in your house like powered by YAML? Like, is this all being calculated locally in home business in YAML or are you offshooting all the states somewhere else and then calculating, all right, yes, this is an anomaly here. Don't do that automation now. Like, how is all that data like being processed? Yeah, so I'm doing everything through Home Assistant first and foremost um, because mm -hmm. I want uh, kind of going into that that chaos engineering mindset of I assume the the internet will fail. Well, you know, the, I assume the internet will fail. I I want to be able to do most, if not all, functions locally if the internet goes out. We've got tons of trees here. Like we do have internet outages constantly. Like. Line of Starlink is mm -hmm. the next thing on my list for for that added resiliency. Um, <laughs> but so I, I want everything to be local, but there's also a lot of telemetry I have in the cloud based on living living a normal life away from home. But I, so I want to kind of be able to do that correlation. And so I end up doing the, um, was it, I think they rebranded it now, but it was like the Azure IoT Hub. Um, you can actually yeah. pass the telemetry through there. 
So I create a copy of all my telemetry and push it up to the cloud. And then I'm able to overlay that on top of um, other telemetry I have, like sign-in logs for Azure AD and and like all of those other things and start to play with the data. It's also how I've been able to learn some of these more powerful cloud type analytics as well. Um, like I, I use my, it's easier to learn when it's your own telemetry that you know what's going on. So yeah. if I'm trying to say, Hey, what I want to write, I want to learn Cusco query language with Sentinel, for example. I learned that by asking it, when was, how many times has my door opened today? I know how many times my door is open because I have it in Home Assistant. I know what that telemetry looks like. But now that I've pushed that telemetry up to the cloud, I can learn how to write that query. And so it's, it's been a lot of how I've learned these other enterprise things because I take my home telemetry and push it up there. Um, I don't, and there are a few things where I do have a like Sentinel creating and triggering something that'll actually happen on, on Home Assistant. So um, that's where the uh, the webhooks come in handy and say I can have Sentinel push something. If so, there are various like actually if if so if my Defender stance um, in the cloud, so my my EDR and all that stuff with my Microsoft Defender telemetry, if I see that activity there and I have a certain risk score, certain alert that happens, I actually have that. So there's an automation in Sentinel that uses the webhook that tells Home Assistant that there's likely adversarial activity happening, which then triggers my DNS to take a different posture. So I, I end up at, in this mm. place where the cloud actually is telling my home to harden its posture through, through my DNS to say, go to this new profile because we think that there might be a possible attack on you or your family in your cyber estate. And so that's where I've been playing with it a lot more is, you know, a lot of people with home assistant, they're, they're anti-cloud. And, and I, there's a lot of reason for that of streaming, sure. just looking at the, the garage door fun lately. Right. So I think it's, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's, it's dependency on SaaS providers that are unpredictable but there's a lot of power in the cloud, especially when you start looking at IaaS and the ability to yeah. custom do stuff. I like using the power of the cloud with the home, but I don't assume the cloud will be there. I assume it will be failed. I assume the cloud will disappear. And as long as you go in with that mindset, I think you end up with a very resilient infrastructure that you get the best of both worlds. I get everything local, but there's a lot of processing I can do in the cloud that I can't do on-prem. Even if I had... Five million dollar stack, yeah. right? I can't reproduce the power of Azure, so um, I still try to do stuff up there. So, yeah, kind of a, just see what happens, you know. I, I think I think the anti cloud piece is also around like services, right? Not like it, it's also like, hey, this thing that I bought has a reliance on cloud. It, I think it's a little yeah. different when you're building your own thing in the cloud too, right? Like again, whatever whatever service that might be, and not to say that. You know, tomorrow Microsoft can't won't sunset Defender or, or you know what whatever that is, right? But at least there's some re reliance on on that provider. But uh, depending on who that provider is and what they are, there's there could be a level of trust, right? Whereas you know you you have Chamberlain for MyQ, for example, or, or uh, that's that whole MyQ system and or Logitech, right? That just starts saying, hey, you know what? We're going to start breaking devices or we're going to start doing whatever, right? So. I think there's a little bit of a difference there, right? When you build your own services, just not in your house, right? And 
slight, slight uh, piece there. But yeah, and I think that's that's what Home Assistant's done a really good job of is showing. Yeah, it's it's you can be vendor neutral, right? Because it's it's you're looking at the yeah. protocol, you're not looking at the actual vendor in most cases. Um, and, and so, and now like with the little cloud thing, it's like, you've got that warning as a consumer. So, I mean, this has honestly changed because of home assistant. It's completely changed the way I purchase things for the home, right? It's, it's as a last resort, will I buy something that is a proprietary cloud first protocol? Um, and it's, so like the only thing in my house, for example, is my hot water heater, um, with, with Reem, it goes up to the cloud and it's, it's cloud native. I, I can't get yeah, that locally, yeah. but that was a conscious decision of, okay, of all the hot water heater things out there, none of them have a local thing. What am I actually going to use this telemetry for? But ever that, so that was a fine, I give up. I will do it with that. Um, but other things like I, I just did a whole geothermal thing for my, for home heating here. Um, cool. Based on home assisted telemetry. So that was actually the other thing that I wanted to, to point out here is, because I have all this telemetry and when I make decisions about upgrades to the home, I can do it in a much more data driven way. Uh, so like we just did this geothermal thing where we got off of oil heat and now we're electric geothermal. Um, I was able to, I know it will pay back and pay for itself in, in under six years because I had all this telemetry beforehand. I knew every day how much oil I was using. I know all of my mm, right. behavior of heat outside temperature able to calculate all that and now that we've got this new system i know exactly what it's it's going to pay for itself and i have control but in determining what vendor to go with for an hvac unit it was this other element and i was working with so many different uh, installers to say i some of them wanted just to throw an ecob thermostat there and i said no i, I refuse right um i need a different option right. that i can do locally and luckily found um one where they could it's not local by default but the great people of the home assistant world out there figured out a reverse proxy to actually hijack it and say hey we've got a local instance and so i'm a happy consumer or i'm not dependent on this but it went it was such a huge factor i was willing to spend more money on a system that i could feed into home assistant than one that was cloud native with just an ecobee thermostat yep that's cool. So from a, from a geothermal perspective, um, what made you go that way? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So, uh, I was looking at, um, all the different ways that I could heat and cool the home. Um, yeah. and, and oil, oil here in new England is just prevalent and it's expensive. And especially in the last couple of years, it just keeps getting worse and worse. There's no, okay. there's no financial goodness in sight. Um, so looked yeah. at like a normal, normal heat pump that uh goes out to the to the air right it's like your air conditioner in reverse um but at a certain point it just doesn't work because it's so it gets so cold sometimes right i think rod you've you've got that same situation being where you are um and so the geothermal was this nice thing where they dug two giant wells into the ground and so instead of dumping the heat or taking the heat from the air and putting it in the house uh it's doing it from the earth because the earth is a constant 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and, uh, so that heat was just, it's always there. So I've, we've only had it for about a week and a half now. Uh, so I'm still very new, oh, wow. but, um, yeah. but I have enough telemetry because of home assistant 
I know based on outside temperature, based on all the different factors, uh, we already have a 40% savings in electricity versus oil daily usage. Um, and that's how I was able to get a, I will be right around the six year payback mark all from a week and a half worth of telemetry. And I'm pretty, pretty sure that's accurate. Cause again, I've got 20 different temperature sensors around the house. I have outdoor temperature sensors. I have, I knew exactly how much electricity I was consuming, how much oil I was consuming before and just able to calculate that stuff to make, you know, it's essentially a business decision at at home. It's great for the earth, great for the family. Um, but it was all done because I had that telemetry and that's, that's like the important part here is I can now make data driven decisions about the home Mm. that I could never do before. Um, and again, take that to an industry and enterprise and say, if you don't have all these sensors in your business, how the heck are you making accurate financial decisions about what you're buying? What, what you want to build as infrastructure? Like I don't build anything for my house now, unless I have the telemetry saying, it's either a good or bad thing, or it's even, you know, a reason to spend my money on it. And where are you storing all this telemetry long long term? Like if you've got Profana running somewhere or if you've got another instance in Azure running up and storing it up there. Yeah. So I've, I've been trying to play with that a little bit too. I don't have a solid long-term storage thing figured out yet. Um, That was one of the reasons I initially upgraded to a larger PC. I wanted longer term storage. And then, um, so most, what I end up doing now is I, I store those things that are, that what I think is relevant now kind of goes up to my, uh, it's a, an ADX cluster up in the cloud. Um, it was an Azure data analytics, just a big blob storage container essentially. Yep. Um, right. But I've, I've been trying to figure out what's the, what's the right way. Like I kind of want to store everything, but I don't use everything. So actually the, that was like my biggest thing. I just could not figure out. So, I mean, I would say luckily the home assistant team saved me again uh, with the introduction yeah. of the statistics, right? Like some of these things that I wanted long-term storage for, I was doing it just for statistical calculations. Once that became yeah. native, I, I really didn't have a need for long-term storage natively anymore. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and as a cybersecurity person, do you want that data? Long term, right? Like, do you want the light switches in the bathroom being known for like the next five years somewhere? Like, you know, at two AM five years ago, you turn your light switch on, you know, twice a night, and now you only do it once a night. Like, do you need a, someone to be able to potentially find that data out about you? Well, yeah, that's that's the interesting part. Is like, how much is too much? Um, but yeah. see, there's a, there's another element to that though, of like um, license plate readers. So you know, you get a camera, and it's like, okay. I want yep. every yep. car that's ever been in my been in my driveway. Um, yep. Some of those things I want to know, like, okay, if my house does get broken into, I want to know the last, you know, over the last 24 hours, what license plates were there. And so that's kind of in the, in the enterprise thing, again, like that's the sock mentality. That's the, I've got a bad guy in my network. Yeah. I need to get them out right away. Yep. But there's this other element of the deeper intelligence stuff that still comes into play where the long-term storage mm-hmm. you'd want. So, we want to be able to ask questions like, okay, have I ever seen this license plate? Has this license plate ever been at my house over the last yeah, 10 years? Right. Like you want to be able to see that because then you start getting to these other questions of, wow, my house was being cased by the same, the same car for the last sure. five years or right. So there almost is a need for some of that long-term storage, but it's not, 
it's not hot storage that you need, right? So like it's, it's, I just, it's cold storage. Want to want it there in the event that I ever want to ask a big question, but that's kind of where the large language model stuff is coming into play too. And like yeah, the, and various co-pilots as a human, I'm not going to go figure out those, those crazy yeah. connections that are yep. five layers deep. But now with these large language models, like, especially if I can plug it into my own private data and say, Hey, what, what is the, what is the trigger for this thing? Like, I, yeah. I see it through the history yeah. graph, but maybe there's something before that, that I'm missing. Like that's, that's where I think it's going to get cool. And that's partially where I want to keep the data. I don't know what tech is going to be there the next few years where that yeah. data could be useful. Yeah. Well, take, take something like that and point it at this data and be like, what's happening, right? Like figure, figure yeah. this piece out, right? It's, uh, there's some cool things there. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's, the tech is just moving so fast. It's, it's, it gets crazy, but, uh, yeah, I, the, the only thing actually speaking of log data and, and like what you were saying, fellas, like, how, do you really want somebody looking at that? The only thing I, uh, out of, Everything that the the home assistant team has been doing, I only have one thing on my wish list, um, and it kind of goes to that data security thing. Um, so I want to be able to say, like, I have time based accounts or role based accounts. Right? So, okay, <laughs> I have accounts for people that visit, babysitter, in laws, etc. Um, and they only work once they're actually at the home on the Wi Fi, and then the account gets turned right. on, and and they're only able to see certain dashboards, right? But what I can't restrict as far as I'm, I'm aware is I, they can still see the log data they can still see history they can still see everything else of the other users so i wish there was a way that i could say that users only see dashboards instead of still seeing some of those other things on the side um so there's there is an rbac function of home assistant but it's only for what it's only for like the dashboards it's not for actually protecting the data and there are some things like, yeah, I don't want my guests to know what is my current phone state. I don't want my guests to know yeah. some of that data, right? Um, and so that's that's been the only hesitation there of really going forward with um, access to others that come to the house and giving them their account because they still can look through the log data if they if they chose to. That's a good thought, actually. I, I I'm sure there's ways you can like hack around that so either a build that same kind of dashboard outside of probably home assistant but or do like uh there's a ton of like css mods and stuff like that you can do like i've seen a lot of people do for tablets and stuff like that too right um or, or like user yeah. interfaces yeah. that are public um so you can do things like that to just not even just show those options but that's not to say that they can't just go to like whatever home assistant local slash blah, 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 right? Like, you can't figure out that, too. Yeah. To your point, like, that kind of a user should just not have access to that. I think I think that's a, that's an interesting answer right there, yeah. Yeah, especially because, so I, I played with the idea of, okay, well, what if, what if I just have the the tablet on the wall, you know, that's, that's in full screen mode all the time and, and there's the dashboard. But then because of, I mean, going back to the, the front door access, I need them to be able to say, okay, if, where they are with their phone when they go for a walk, if they leave the house they need to be able to come back in mm -hmm. and, and take that telemetry that proves that they are who they are, where they are, because I want to be able to see through the home assistant app, for example, like I want to be able to see 
that telemetry that it's not just some random phone on my Wi-Fi with their credentials. I actually want to see yeah. the GPS coordinates as well before they get access to the house. And so, but then, yeah, the downside of that is I can't force them into full screen mode all the time on their, on their phone. Right. So that's, yeah. that's the trade off right now. Um, so it's, yeah, I haven't figured out a way on that, but that's my, that's my only wish list is the, take the R back that exists in home assistant and just put it to every, all those other functions on the, mm-hmm. on the left-hand side. And then, you know, all the security concerns would be mitigated at that point, I think too. I even, I even look at it as a, as a see live data versus historical data, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I do want you to see the current state of the door, but I don't need you to see the state of the door two minutes ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, thinking that's the thing thing or something like that. Right. Yeah. If so. I want you to see the state of the door, I, I would put that in a dashboard if I yeah. didn't want, you know, right. So, but the fact that people yeah. can just go look through the logbook right now and see the raw data of everything and, and changes of state, that's, that's like yeah. the concern, especially if you're saying, yeah. Oh, I've got a babysitter and okay, babysitter here, you've got home assistant, here's control to the things in the house I want you to control. I don't necessarily yeah. want them to, to see the other stuff, right? It's like, I want to be able to control. It's, it's the, the zero trust type, type thing again, right? Of like, I want sure. just in time, just enough access based on who you are, where you are, what you are kind of thing. Yeah. No, I think it's I interesting agree with that. that. I mean, it's interesting that you would even consider giving like someone like a guest or a babysitter, a assistant account. Like my philosophy always is that you shouldn't need to touch home assistant. The house should just do its thing. Right. Like, so yeah. Uh, but in your scenario, it sounds like you need an home assistant account to get the, to verify that have enough data to verify that, you know, that's them coming up to the front door and, you know, they're on the, their phones on the network. So they're actually home. It's, yeah. It's a, yeah. An interesting no, and I agree with that. Like for the house to operate, the house operates without the interaction, but there's other things because of, because of the fact that I can plug all of these other things into home assistant. Um, it's, it's a way for me to say, okay, here's access to the, the TV shows that the kids want, the music, the, um, yep. right. other things that's not just the house itself. So instead of having to say, okay, here's my Disney plus password and here's all this other stuff I can say here, I, I made a home assistant account for you. This is everything that you might need to control in the house at any time. And you know, oh, here's an, an SOS button as well. Like hit the SOS S button. And I have, it pings us. It says, Hey, the, the babysitter needs us, whatever. Like those are the kinds yeah. of things that why being able to give it on their phone is, is such a nice way to do it. Um, yeah. because it's, it's a way to communicate those, those essentially based on their role. Right. And that babysitter profile is very different than what my in-laws might see if they're watching the kids, they might get more access. Right. But it's, it's yeah. Cause I can plug in all of my other accounts into this and, and truly be that vendor neutral one-stop shop um, that makes it so powerful for everything and, and other users. And the fact that I can say, okay, as soon as that person leaves the house, their account is disabled. Like I don't have to worry about them coming and manipulating stuff. I can say, and it's actually where like the calendar function was so nice too. Um, because I can say, Hey, so-and-so is scheduled to be at the house during this time. If they're on the Wi-Fi during the scheduled time, enable their account and they can come on in. Mm. If they show up to the house unannounced, 
they're not going to get their account enabled because they're not on the calendar, right? So it's all of those things coming together. Now do it in reverse. I'm the babysitter and you want me to install an app that has a location 24 hours a day pushed up to the cloud. Would would you feel comfortable if someone said that to you though? Like it seems... Well, so that's that's kind of the thing of of the account disablement, right? And it's or it doesn't even have to be the app, right? You could just do the web browser mm-hmm. thing and say local access only. Um, and but that's the thing is that you could actually have that um, that granular discussion and say there's telemetry I want of some people, telemetry I don't want on others. If yep. yeah, so the babysitter probably don't necessarily need the the GPS coordinates on them. Um, yeah. but I could s- still give them a, an account and say, here's access to the entire music library and video library and everything else, um, have at it, but I don't want them to have access yeah. to that all the time either. And I'm only pulling the telemetry of when they're actually open in the app. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, and that's again, the beauty of this zero trust mindset is you get just enough based on those credentials. If you can't prove who you are, where you are to a certain degree. Um, this would be like a managed endpoint in the corporate world, right? If you're not a truly managed, fully defended endpoint, well, maybe I don't let you download data. I only get you a view of the data, not the actual download of the data. And so bringing yeah. that mentality to home assistant saying, if I don't know exactly who you are, or where you are, um, but you have an account, okay, maybe there are certain things you can't do with the house until you actually prove that you're physically there with GPS signal in addition to other signal. Makes sense. So what's your future plans for the house? Like what do you we had Year of the Voice this year. What what are you hoping next year is gonna be your big next edition if for you personally? Oh man. That is a great question. I mean, honestly, I just need time to catch up with the Year of the the Voice. So I need time to catch up with all the the stuff. Yep. But I mean, I yeah. think it would be cool. Um I mean, I'm already seeing this in the in the chats and you know, just the community in general, like people really playing with large language models. I think, yeah. I think the fact that these new models are coming out that allow you to keep, to be private, right? Where you can take the, the model and yeah. overlay it on your own data. I think there's going to be a use for that home assistant because you can say yeah. like, what I want to be able to ask, like, what if you could ask questions of my house in natural 100%. language and have it do those 100%. analytics? Yep. Um, and the, you know, when the first, when the large language models first came out, there was no way you would do that. But now that the, the private data capabilities are there, like, you know, like you mentioned the, the co-pilot type thing, a lot of those co-pilot things are keeping your data private. Yeah. Um, being able to push that to the, to the home that I, I think that's just like the next step of if you, especially if we already have voice now, if you can mm-hmm. use that voice to interact through a natural language with your home. In, in that extra degree. I think that'd be cool, but um, I, I definitely don't have time to play with it myself right now because I, I haven't even <laughs> built my my little uh, voice voice triggers. Yeah. Um, but I I mean, that's that's my wish list. Absolutely. I, this, I just love this platform. It's great. It's uh, wherever it yeah. goes, I will gladly follow it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, you know what? I'll leave you with this. For for what it's worth, the voice piece is actually fairly simple. Um, I've I've been playing with it for a little bit, um, and you know, even even generating your own uh, wake word and stuff like that. It's 
honestly, it's, it's, it's not difficult. Um, I think I figured it out in probably about less than an hour for sure. And then, and that includes, I mean, some of the time it takes is actually to go in and train that data to say like whatever your wake word is to go generate that wake word and stuff like that. Uh, if you choose to use your own, but than that it's, it's once, once you get the services up and running, um, behind the scenes, which, cause I'm running it in Docker, I have to run them individually. But, uh, and, and again, the Nabucasa piece actually makes that easier too, right? Because when, when you have that subscription, you can subscribe to their cloud-based ones. But I wanted, for me, I want to test both local and cloud-based. So um, the, the cloud-based one just worked. Uh, the local one, I just had to make sure I had those Docker services running and stuff like that. And honestly, it's, it's, it's pretty cool when you see it working. You're like, okay, that's neat, right? And I mean, you're, you're kind of used to it because, I mean, I have Amazon Echoes all around my house and I've got a couple of Google Homes spattered around wherever but um it, it i think it's a little different when it's actually running on your stuff right because i it, it it's one of those things where i was like oh this is, this is neat because it's actually like like i'm not sending this like amazon isn't making the decision to say hey go talk to home assistant to go turn it on and blah 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 you are directly talking to home assistant which is pretty neat so yeah yeah that's that's definitely cool i've i've done you know again like the, the out of the box stuff with with wyoming and and uh like just that is great. Like just hold yeah. the button down on my Android and it goes that having the whole house being able to listen would be, be pretty cool. Or even just those, the, I love seeing the, the old school telephones. Like I want to go over to Goodwill and <laughs> yeah. see if they got the, the phone, pick it up and be like, I want to talk to my house. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, if you, if you did that with a large language model too. Um, so that's actually one thing yeah. that would, so I've done this separate. And if I could get it in it, home assistant would be even better. Like have the kids say, like that, what they want a good night story to be about, and like oh, I want it to be about a purple unicorn, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. And then you get the you know it, it tells a bedtime story. So right now I'm manually doing that. Of I take I take that that's generated by Bing Chat ChatGPT type stuff, um, and then I copy it into Home Assistant, copy the text that it generates for a good night story, and I copy that into Home Assistant to then have it do the play over the speakers. And so if I had the large language model plugged in, then I could actually just pick up the phone to home assistant and say, Hey, yeah. I want a good night yeah. story for a five-year-old about blank, you know, and then have it play in that room. Um, Cause yeah, right now it's just, I have to manually copy and paste it, but you know, it's, that's still like one of the great things about home assistant is I can, the fact that I can put text in there and then it will do the text to speech for me. Um, yeah for even a long bedtime story could play it through the speakers is, is pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing I mentioned, like just saving money with, with energy. Um, yeah. But ultimately because of the way home assistant works, I'm able to save money on so many other things that when you compare it to the rest of society, you have products that are purpose built and, and yeah. with little effort, I'm able to emulate that with, um, with home assistant for a fraction of the price. So in thinking of just how, how do my kids interact with this? One of those things that we did for, for, um, so the same, same one who was a newborn ish in 2018 right now, she's five. And it was like, okay, how do we let her know it's okay to wake up? Like it's time to get out and go, mm -hmm. go do stuff. And they make yeah. these lights that do that. And you can program it with your phone and Bluetooth and all of that, that are, I don't know how much they are. They're, but to me, it was expensive. And I was like, I can do that yeah. same thing with Home Assistant, right? So 
right. get the color changing light bulb with, with um, Zigbee and create a little automation that says, hey, change change the light to this color um, yep. at this time. And so for up $10, I was able to do what is a, you know, it required a easily a hundred dollar thing to do with a, a different yeah. product. And then I retained that privacy because I didn't need to get an account with this other vendor that has to link to my phone to say, Oh, here's the schedule for my kid. Right. So that, you know, and, and then that $90 savings I had, I now can feed right back into home assistant for more stuff. And so it's, it's, it's an element of, you know, it's just so many wins that, um, being able to use home assistant as that central policy enforcement point, like from a zero trust standpoint, it's the sky's the limit and you can end up doing things so much cheaper, um, because of it. Like, yeah, I don't need the Ecobee nest thermostats that are super expensive because I use the dumb thermostat and I control it all with home assistant, right? It gets, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, uh, just tremendous cost savings, um, because of that. And I think that's, that's almost overrated, um, to like, and I just see how, how everybody else who is not using home assistant lives. They're buying all these products that have a markup because there's, there's overhead and I don't, I can completely bypass all of that uh, and provide a better experience again for my family, better user experience. So it's, it's just a, a great platform overall. Yeah. Even uh, and the, like this last thing is color changing light, right? It's like, you get the the wish list from the kids, like the the, the party source racks. I don't know if you guys seen that with you know, kids on, on Disney Plus. They have this little short with party source racks in the bathtub, and the lights are strobe lights flashing and all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that'd be cool. Well, okay, that's super easy. Let's create a, a little automation and home assistant that makes the yeah. light ch- lights change and flash. Put them, take all the color changing lights from the house, put them all in the bathroom, and now we have a strobe light party source rex bathtub time for the kids just like uh <laughs> just like they saw on tv and it's like yeah it took all of 30 seconds of programming effort and i just created this this awesome thing for the kids that um would otherwise have been impossible right so it's it's little things like that that really yeah it makes it personable it's not it started out as a security system it started out as a thing for me to learn it and all this but now it's a way to actually engage deeper with the family um yeah because of the ability to do all this stuff. And so that's, that's kind of where just for me, it, it's come full circle of, um, it, it's just, it's just really cool. Anyway, talk all day about how, how amazing home is. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, that's cool. Well, awesome. Ian, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate, uh, talking to us today. It's interesting to see like a different perspective in terms of some with a, a cybersecurity mindset coming in, um, and how you, yeah, secure the home. Um, yeah, really cool talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was uh, great talking to you and getting to meet you. It's uh, great, you know, get to get to listen to you guys all the time, and now to see you face to face is awesome. So, uh, really yeah. appreciate it. Love it. No, thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's h a s s podcast.io. Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.